Good morning, Revelation Church. Happy Sunday. As you can see, we're here again recording on Thursday night. And there might be a little extra work going on, as you can see, tearing up some carpet and doing some more painting. Uh, I'd like to uh, throw out a thank you to all those that have been working over the last couple weeks. Uh, this week, we are in Matthew. We'll continue in Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. Uh, but before we get started, Zach, do you want to kind of recap what you and Jared covered last week? I think it plays nicely into what we'll talk about today. Yeah, sure. I also want to say that it is Mother's Day. Oh, it is Mother's Day. Not today, but when we're watching this, it will be Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day, everyone who is a mother or has a mother. What was your question? Going to recap. recap. That's right, okay. Yeah, yeah. so last week, I, I hung out with Jared Lida, who's the pastor of All of Life Church in Post Falls, and we talked about uh, Peter's confession of who Jesus is. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And all the disciples kind of rattle off some things, and then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, he makes this kind of foundational claim of who Jesus is, of his authority, of his role as the anointed one, the coming king over Israel, and also um, his special relationship to Yahweh as the son. All right. Yeah. So as we get into the uh, scripture today, we'll kind of see a little bit of a transition out of that and uh, a moving toward uh, some more discussion in regards to that. So I'll go ahead and start with the scripture, uh, Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human's concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I uh, pray for this morning. I pray for the discussion. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, guide and direct this conversation. And Lord, I just pray for those that are watching that um, your Holy Spirit would uh, bring to light what the scriptures say, Lord, and just how they can be impactful and meet them where they're currently at, Lord. I pray that you just bless this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So when I was younger, I've, I worked at Fred Meyer as a produce clerk. And as a produce clerk, there was one job that I really hated, and it involved shucking the onions and putting them out for a display for people to buy. And the reason why I hated it is because you'd have to take the onion and you'd have to shuck and take all the different pieces off. Well, I had worked with other wet items like the lettuce and different things like that. And so then you take that and then go against the dry, sharp edges of the onions and you end up with cuts on your hands. And for anybody that's dealt with onions, when you cut into it, what does it make you do? It makes you cry, right? So there's like this weird pain associated with onions for me. And the thing that's interesting about it is you take onions and you combine them for one of my favorite dishes. Take an onion, take some bell peppers, take some sausages, cook those up together, throw some cheese on it, put it on a baguette. It is delicious. But the idea is that in order to do that, you have to go through the process of taking the shell or the outside of the onion off, then cut into it, which then may lead to some crying. But in the end, <laughs> you have this beautiful meal that you can eat. And so I think that kind of plays right into what we're talking about here, where initially there's gonna be a discussion about some pain that Jesus has to go through in order to accomplish something beautiful and wonderful. So if you remember from last week, they're in a different part, kind of northeast of Galilee, in a different area, kind of secluded. Um, and Jesus is using this as an opportunity to tell the disciples what's about to happen. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things. He's going to be killed. He's not going to just die. He's not. But in fact, he will be killed. And I think that's important to see that in here. Be killed and be raised. So he's not abandoned to death, but God will raise Jesus from the dead. And so I think that's something that we can really kind of focus in on and see that this is the mission that Jesus has, that he knows he needs to accomplish. It's something he must do. However, as we read this verse, the disciples, their only focus is on the death part. They're ignorant. They choose to ignore the resurrection part, even though Jesus touches on it multiple times in chapter 17 and chapter 20. There's multiple discussions about Jesus talking about his coming death and resurrection. And I want to throw this out as something that we tend to think about often. And even in this situation that we're in with COVID-19, once again, we come back to that just from the standpoint that that's, that's our reality right now. And it's really easy to get hung up on the ugly side of it. Like, this isn't what I can't do. This is not normal, whatever. You know, it's kind of like the, the question, I've got good news and I've got bad news. What do you want first, you know? But Jesus, Jesus in his delivery of what's going to happen to him gets to the bad news first, that he's going to be killed. And the disciples just immediately, like, that's where their hearing stops, you know, and they just, they just don't even... 
they can't even process they'll be raised on the third day because it's just for them to for the messiah because that's where they're at now they they've 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 made this statement, Peter made this statement last time, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so this is the trajectory that they've all um, signed up for. And it just doesn't make any sense that the Messiah would die. Like, they, they just don't have that framework at all. And, I mean, what Jesus is going to do is he's just going to completely begin. And I mean, I would say that he's been doing this all throughout Matthew, but he's going to kind of reshape that framework. I was reading um, uh, a commentary earlier this week about this passage and and the illustration that the author gave was, if you've ever, um, if you've ever had to trim your beard, or I mean, I'm going to be 38 soon, my nose hairs uh, with a pair of scissors in the mirror, navigating the scissors in front of the mirror is like almost impossible to do because it's all backwards. And like the disciples are, are, have this situation where like, this is just completely backwards for them and they just cannot figure it out. Um, and I think it's like, like you said, just it's, it's interesting how it's, it's easy to really key in on the, wait, what do you mean be killed? And, and not, even, not even see the, the upside to that. Yeah, so they're left in this confusion. I I find it fascinating as we go through Matthew, there's these like bright spots, like a light bulb will go on and then it kind of dims a little bit. And then all of a sudden it'll come back on maybe a little stronger than it did before. And then it's a continual process as we go through the gospels, how the disciples will catch on a little bit and then kind of retreat and then move forward again. So as we go into the next set of verses, um, Peter takes Jesus' side. He rebukes him, saying, Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And I just can't help but say as the reader, like, Oh, Peter, (laughs) I feel like you're sitting mighty high after Jesus affirmed you for calling, identifying him as the Messiah. Peter doesn't understand that Jesus has to die and that this is part of his plan. And there's no way to get out of that. Like, this is the mission that Jesus is on. And the really harsh verbiage that God uses in rebuking Peter here, get behind me, Satan, takes me back to the temptation of Jesus and Satan in earlier in, I believe it's chapter four of the, of this gospel. And just the idea of Satan sitting there with Jesus going, Hey, if you deny yourself and call me King, I will go ahead and give you all of this. You can have the whole kingdom. And Jesus quote scripture back at him and says, no, you, no, uh, all of this belongs to my father. And so with this get behind me, Satan, he sees Peter as a temptation to steer him off of his main objective. His objective is to get to Jerusalem. And so Peter is now become a hindrance. 
a couple verses earlier, as you recapped, Jesus or Peter called was called the rock. And so he's the rock of the church that the church will be built upon. And then in this situation, just a couple verses later, he becomes a stumbling block. So he's no longer the cornerstone, the piece that the church will be built up on. Instead, he becomes the stumbling block. I wonder what Peter thought he was doing because he's, he's seemingly, you know, making another really strong proclamation of Jesus messiahship like you know like the messiah won't be killed you know god forbid that'll never happen to you and 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 i have to i imagine that that peter was really surprised when he got rebuked because again like these guys just aren't this is not inside their framework of what it means to follow the messiah and i wonder sometimes what are the things that jesus is about today where we're going to look at that and go like, no, that's not what, that's not what Jesus does. Or, you know, Christianity doesn't look like that. And when in reality, that's exactly what we're supposed to be about. And I think there's always a possibility of that because if there isn't, then I'm saying, well, I have it all figured out. I cannot be surprised by God, you know? And and, and I don't think that's true, <laughs> you know? And so sooner or later, I will have to come and be confronted by a facet of the Messiah that's like, I don't, I don't think that's how it works. And he'll be saying, yeah, it actually is. And you need to get on board with that. And that's a hard confrontation for anybody. So with that in mind, as we look into the next section, Jesus talks about putting aside the human concerns and becoming more focused on God's concerns. Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wonder if this, since he's kind of separated with the disciples, if this is kind of like almost like a second calling for the disciples, like this is what I'm going to do. This is your pass. Like, if you don't want to be part of this, you can step aside now. But this is where I'm going. So if anyone wants to follow after me, you can join me. We have spiritualized this verse. I mean, this is a very famous verse. Um, And we've just made it about like, you know, do you want to be a Christian? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But like, that's very literally a death sentence in Jesus's context. I mean, take up your cross is not this flippant, like wear a piece of jewelry or put a bumper sticker on your car or something. It's sign me up for the guillotine or, you know, the electric chair or whatever. Like it's, there's a very real, literal, physical set of consequences that go along with this challenge. And I I think you're right that like Jesus is going and anybody that's going to follow him is going to follow him. We make the assumption that Jesus did all of these things on our behalf, which he did. And somehow that means that we don't have to experience 
any of those things. And, and we absolutely don't have to experience the consequences of our sin, right? Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. Jesus gives us new life. We don't have to, there aren't works that we have to do to earn our salvation. But the statement, you, know, you f- take up your cross and follow me is a statement that necessarily implies that the one that follows after Jesus will lead a life that is similar to Jesus's. And that's a very challenging word for me in 21st century America. And and it's interesting how we as followers of Jesus have experienced a little bit of, um, I don't even want to call it persecution because it's not persecution, but a little bit of uncomfortability, you know, if that's a word. And we're all freaking out about it. Like we can't handle the lockdown. We can't handle being told what to do by the governor. And we, you know, and like we can't handle unemployment. And and I don't, I don't want to say that those things aren't bad. Like that's not, I mean, Jesus' whole point is like, here's some bad things that are going to happen if you follow me. It's not like, yay, they're great things. But at the same time, like, here's a little taste of them, church. Oh, we don't like that. We don't want that. <laughs> and, I did not sign up for this. Yeah, like, no, I want to be healthy and wealthy and beautiful. And, and I just like, and, and all of this like suffering stuff, that's what happens to the Christians of the past or the Christians of the third world. And We'll talk about that and pray for them and, 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 you know, read books about the martyrs. But the second it happens to us, we don't lean into that and go like, oh man, we're being treated like Jesus. We, we go like, ooh, I don't want that. Leave me alone. Yeah. In my studies, I've found this interesting uh, quote, death to self is not a prerequisite of discipleship to Jesus, but a continuing characteristic and Jesus is continually calling us to take up our cross, take that which we would not normally do, because I don't know about you, but someone calling me to, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die and you might too. Don't sign me up for that. I'm, like you said, I, I'm not interested in that initially. Like that's my gut reaction. That's the human side of me saying, no, I don't want any part of that. But instead when we know who Jesus is and that he's calling us to a life that follows after him and the benefits that come with that, there's definitely going to be times when it's not comfortable, like you were mentioning. And, but yet we're called to that life as followers of Jesus. We have to trust Jesus that the life that he is calling us to is better than what we can live out accumulating as much stuff as possible or n- name whatever, whatever uh, strikes your fancy as far as what you want to pursue in life. Um, Jim Elliott, a lot of you probably know who he is. He's a missionary that was killed by the uh, people he was serving. And he has a quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so the idea is willing to give up everything to gain eternal life, to gain that which I cannot lose. If you take a look at what Jesus says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, And then in the next verse, he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, 
um, both of those phrases are in, in Greek, they're the same words. Um, behind me and after me are, is both the same phrase. What stands out to me is that there are just two options. There's not like, there's not like an option C or like there's not a standing off to the side or being a spectator or being loosely connected to Jesus or um, being friends and friends with Jesus or being ambivalent to Jesus or like whatever category we would want to put ourselves in. That's not like either, either you are standing in my way and you need to get behind me or you are following me and you're already behind me. So like, so there's like, there's only two places, right? And, and I think that's a real challenge to, to anyone who would want to like find a third path through whatever kind of religious context they, they have where um, maybe they're just, I like Jesus, but I've given up on the church or, or maybe I'm, you know, Jesus is a great teacher or, but he wasn't God or, you know, there's, there's a myriad of different ways that people interact with Jesus that he just makes illegitimate here. Like there's only, there's only two. You're, you're in the way or you're following. That requires quite a bit of reflection from time to time, just to kind of see where you're at. Cause just because you are a follower of Jesus doesn't mean there aren't times when you <laughs> like Peter move in front right out and in say, front. yeah, <laughs> I got this. Don't worry about this. I'm, I'm, I got it all figured out. I'm good. I feel so impressed upon by the scripture to take this, this seriously. I mean, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And I mean, the, the taking up your cross thing is again, like I, we already talked about it is just, it's not a, it's not a metaphor for, you know, inconvenience or what it's a literal death sentence. And I was thinking about this, um, earlier, we, we just bought some ducks or we were given some ducks or something and they're at your house. Mm -hmm. there was a discussion of, well, do they lay eggs? And, and my wife was like, well, I hope they lay eggs. And I said, well, if they don't, we'll just eat them. And she said, no, we've already named them. We can't eat them. And it's funny to me with regards to animals. And I mean, I'm the same way. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm any different, but like most of us do not deal with death. Like it used to be generations ago, you would have animals and you would, you know, you'd get a chicken and you'd wring its neck and you'd cook it for dinner and it would just be part of life. Um, people would die and they would, and, and you would see, like children would see dead bodies in their homes because they would just be laid out uh, to, a, you know, in observance of the, the memorial. And there would just be this understanding of death. And we've, done so good in the 21st century of just completely removing that. Like, I'm not even sure my seven-year-old knows that chickens that hop around the farm and chicken that we eat are the same thing. <laughs> and she does now, but um, like- It's because we name them different. Right. Chicken, poultry, chicken, yeah, right, pork, yeah. pig. Yeah, this isn't, this is beef. This is not a cow, you know, but we've, we've, we've trained ourselves to just completely remove death from our experience. And you can't read 
Matthew's story about what it was like to walk with Jesus without death constantly coming up in your, in your mind. And, and I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to die a martyr, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I I think we live in a different world. Not everybody in the world is like that, but in our specific context, but you know, we might, I don't know. But at the same time, do I feel the heaviness of that command or that, that challenge of like, do you want to, do you want to follow me? Because it's, it's serious. It's, it's messy and it's dangerous. And we are definitely detached from the reality of it being in the United States in comparison to other parts of the world. But well, and we look at, I mean, you mentioned Elliot, we look at his story and like, oh, he's so great. But like boots on the ground. I mean, if you've ever seen the movie in the spear or like if you've read that story, like he didn't have to do that. You know, it, you could have made some pretty logical, reasonable um, arguments for like why that was a bad idea. These people are going to be hostile to you and it's not worth it or figure out a different strategy or come back another day, you know, like whatever. And, and just for, for him and the team that he was a part of, just be like, we feel called to walk into this community and proclaim the gospel, whatever the cost and the cost was their lives. And then the fruit that came out of that, if you keep reading the story of how, how the, the tribe was ultimately um, brought into the kingdom largely because of the witness of um, the surviving family of those men. And yeah, like there's this, I mean, looking at verses 25 and 26, like you, you, there's this real question, like, do you, do, do you want to save your life? Um, if you, do, do you want to act in your own best interests? Because if you do, things are going to go badly for you ultimately. But if you want to look for the interests of others, if you, if you give up your life for the sake of Christ, whatever that means, whatever that looks like in the context that we're in, that's where we find real, true life and joy and peace and love. And, and like you said, that's a, that's a faith question. Like, are we going to trust Jesus in that? It doesn't make sense how there's beauty that comes out of ashes. I mean, you think about, like, where I live, we have a lot of pine trees. You think of forest fires. Some of the greatest growth that happens, happens when? It happens right after a, a large fire comes through and just wipes out the area and devastates it. And then all of a sudden, that ash then gets into the soil, gets mixed in. All of a sudden there's a ton of nutrients and new life grows up out of that. And so I think that's just a great testament to Christ and what he's done, that he's able to take death, something ugly that we want nothing to do with and use it as a tool that then becomes this beautiful thing of Jesus rising from the dead as a way to save us from ourselves. So as we wrap up, we get into some interesting verses here, uh, verses 27 and 28, uh, 28 specifically. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I immediately go to 
the son of man coming in his kingdom. And then I apply it to me. And so then I think, well, Jesus is going to come back someday. So that must be what he's talking about. But that's not what he's talking about here. Um, he does talk about what we call the second coming in chapter 24 and, and later on in the book. But what I think is happening most likely here is whenever he talks about the son of man, and we've, I mean, we've talked about this a lot in our study of Matthew because it comes up a lot, but the son of man is a title that Jesus gives himself based on Daniel chapter seven. If you read Daniel's chapter seven, uh, it, it's this dream that Daniel has where all of the nations of the world or some significant nations of the world are represented as these great beasts. And these beasts wage war and um, they kind of kill each other. And then there's this big ugly beast at the end that's hideous and terrible. And then the son of man destroys that last beast. And then he comes up in the clouds, it says, and sits himself down at the right hand of a figure called the Ancient of Days, God the Father. And so when Jesus says the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, he's most likely referencing that passage where the Son of Man comes into his kingdom and sits down on his throne. That happens in the Gospel of Matthew the, and when Jesus ascends, right? He and, or the first part of Acts when the story is retold and, and, and Jesus ascends to the Father, sits down at the right hand and rules over his kingdom um, that he's created in his new church. And I think that's what he's talking about. It's kind of a weird way to say it. There are some standing here that will not taste death. I mean, you could, you could say, well, Judas is standing there and he, he won't experience that because he, he's... Um, um, going to fall away and uh, commit suicide. I think you could also say that it has something to do with the transfiguration, that his glory is revealed there. Um, but I think it's probably strongest to say that it has to do with um, the ascension and that, that, that the, the um, crucified, buried, and risen Savior conquers death and the powers of darkness and ascends to the right hand of God. And, and that's what his people, the, at least the 11, will, will witness. Growing up, I was always under the impression or taught that it was the return of Christ. And then you kind of do this weird, well, well you, you know, know and I, I was kind of flip thing. I've heard where, say, well, so if, if somebody who is not going to taste death until they see the son of man returning his kingdom, and that's the second coming then there's this, I, tell me if you've ever heard this, there's this whole story about how John the apostle never died. And so he's, um, he's still alive today. And I think there's even some people that say that he's Bigfoot. And that sounds really stupid, but I think there's people that seriously believe that, that, that Bigfoot sightings can be traced back to the apostle John, who is roaming the wilderness of the Northwest for some reason, waiting for Jesus to return. But you have to do a lot of work with this verse to get there. You know? Exactly. I would say, though, backing up a little bit to verse 27, so we didn't spend much time there. It says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Um, and I think if you take that verse out of the narrative and, and just kind of have it in isolation, it kind of sounds like, okay, there's, the, there's these things you need to do in order to be rewarded. 
Uh, and what are those things? You know, like, what's your list of things? Like, I'm a good person because I this, 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 this. You're a bad person because you that, 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 you know. And we, we develop these lists. But Jesus, I think, is pretty clear. And in, in he, says, he says one thing. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And so I, I think the most reasonable way to understand that is that you and I will be rewarded each according to what we have done in response to his call. Like, are we, are we following? Have we, um, there was, I was listening to a podcast uh, today and they were talking about faith and, and the, one of the ways that you describe faith is believing loyalty. Like, are we loyal to Christ? Are we, are we following Jesus? And it's not about um, a list of rules that we have to keep or good deeds that we have to do or bad deeds that we have to refrain from. from. I mean, morality is important and we should be living a certain, kind, a certain way. And like you said earlier, the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount kind of lay that out for us. But the ultimate question is, what have you done with Jesus? Are you following him or are you in his way? That's like a lifelong question to ask yourself, but it's a very simple question. It's, it's not, it should give us a lot of comfort that, that we are, um, you know, we are just clinging to Christ. And that is, that is what he is asking us to do. And that's ultimately the reward. Yeah. And the end is Christ. It's awesome. So as we wrap up here, um, did you have any other thoughts, comments? It's a sobering question for me. Am I taking this seriously? Am I, you know, the, the story of the disciples is he's, he's bringing them farther in and farther in and farther in, and he's, he's giving them insight into what his kingdom is like. And it kind of culminates, like we talked about last week in this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And yeah, Peter, God revealed that to you. You didn't come up with that yourself. And so that's where we are. If you and I, and everyone in our church community is saying, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the, of the living God okay, what next? You know, are we, what does our Monday morning look like? What does our Friday night look like? What is, what do our habits look like? What do our, what does our thought life look like? How are we speaking to our, our friends and our family and our children? And like, how are we um, treating our neighbors? And, and what do we, um, when we, when we hear that injustice is being done, how do we respond? Are we, are we serious about following Christ? And I don't think Jesus makes it hard to follow him, but he lets us know that following him is not going to be easy. He's not pushing us out in front. He's always leading us to walk where he's already gone. And I think we can be comforted by that, that whatever we've been asked to do, whatever we've been called to do, however he wants us to live our lives, he's gone ahead of it us and he's done it first and he's he's walked it before us yeah so as we kind of wrap this up along that line uh, i wanted to pose two questions just kind of throw them out there one i'll put in the category of relationship and the other one into discipleship so first off if you don't have a relationship with christ what is your stumbling block 
that is preventing you from a relationship with Jesus. And then if you are, as you described, Zach, a follower of Christ, what is tempting you away from picking up your cross and following Jesus the way he has called us? Do you have a stumbling block to the relationship of Jesus? If you do, I know that you, myself, and there's a handful of other people in the church that would love to talk to you about the, those stumbling blocks and those things that prevent you from seeking after Jesus. So I'll leave it with that. Yeah. Would you close us in prayer? Sure. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, just the reminder that you, you are going somewhere, you are doing something, uh, and you've asked us to come along with you. Ultimately, the thing you have done has been done. You have, you have gone to the cross. You have um, paid the penalty for our sin uh, through your death, and you have risen from the grave, uh, giving us new life. We just thank you for that. And I just pray that as we have been called to follow you, um, the crucified but resurrected Savior, that we would take that seriously, that the kind of life that you're calling us to is one that looks a lot like your life. Uh, and wh what does that mean in 21st century North Idaho? I, got, I, I just pray that we would all wrestle with that uh, and that you would give us insight into what it looks like to be your people in this place at this time. God, give us courage to step out and be um, radically loving and giving, sacrificial, that we would be prepared to metaphorically or, or literally lose our lives for the kingdom. And God, I, I just pray that your people would be blessed and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.